Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Um, Well, you've come today in the middle of a series that we're calling Now Showing. Uh, It's actually week four. We've been looking at stories throughout the Bible. We started with Adam and Eve because that's at the beginning. Uh, we, we skipped forward to this kind of what we call it an independent film. You know how independent films are, are these kind of small budget movies where uh, it's, it's really all about the story and the characters. And we looked at a, a lady named Hagar and, and how she ran into the, the wilderness and met God. And so we looked and talked about that. Last week, we looked at a, what we called a blockbuster, that this is a, this is a big budget uh, you know, great actors and, and actresses and, and special effects as we looked at Moses and the Red Sea. Well, this week we have another one of those big budget movie passages of Scripture because we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18 and the story of Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Now, I don't know if you grew up in a country church. I grew up in a country church and the old country preacher would say he's when he announced that he was going to preach about Elijah, he would say, I'm going to preach about Elijah on top of Mount Caramel. And everybody got real excited. What? I know Caramel was in the Bible. And everybody started getting hungry, but it's not Caramel, it's Caramel. So, you know, if somebody asks you, uh, then, then you won't, you know, feel like you're talking about food, but an actual mountain. And with any good movie, <laughs> with any good movie, with any good story, there's all kinds of details that, that it helps to know. Usually a movie just sets this up or a book will, will set you up for what's going to happen by writing about it. And, and I want to set you up today by, by telling you these details ahead of time so that when we get into the story, you are, are ready and you know what's, what's coming. Well, the setting, that's one of the first things that you learn in English class is to discover the setting because the setting will tell you so much about the story. The setting of our story today is, is the land of Israel, the, the land of Canaan. Even if you think of modern day Israel, where it's at now, you might think of that general location. It's a very, very fertile land. It's a very, uh, in places, a very, uh, very desirable plot of land. If you pay attention to the news, you know this, that a lot of people want to occupy that stretch of, of land. And, um, and, and originally, before the Hebrews came out of Egypt, out of Egypt, out of slavery, slavery there's a group of people there, kind of a bunch of a lot of different people groups, but we collect them all into just saying the people of Canaan, because that was kind of the geographical name for that location was the land of Canaan. And, and we call those people the Canaanites. And there's all sorts of kinds of different Canaanites. You've got Philistines and, and, and all these other steens. And, and you just read your, your Bible and you discover that they time and time come in contact with these people. And, and there's a big difference between the, the Hebrews and the Canaanites. And this is one of the major, major differences. The people of Canaan were polytheists. Now, what that means is that they worshiped many gods, poly, many, theist god, many gods. So they had, they had gods of, of geographical locations. They had gods of cities. They had gods on this mountain and gods on that mountain. They had gods of, of love and they had gods of fertility and they had gods of, of, of agriculture and they had gods of war. And so they, they worship all sorts of different gods. And when you would go to a city, you wouldn't, maybe you already have this information, but when you go into the city, you kind of ask, well, who's the god of this city? Because I want to, you know, give sacrifice to the God of this city so that my time in this city will go well. 
And so many gods in Canaan, when, when the Hebrews make their entrance, and the thing that's different about the Hebrews, the Israelites, is that they're not polytheists, they're monotheists. Mono, one, theist God. They have one God. One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They have one God. His name is Yahweh, and he claims to be the God of everything. He claims to be the God of everywhere. He claims to be the God of every city, of every purpose. Whatever you need, the, the Hebrew God claims to be the God that you need to approach. He claims to be the God of everyone. So you can imagine that when you've got a people group entering into a land that says, look, our God's the God of everybody, and all these other people are saying, no, no, no there's a bunch of different gods. You can imagine that might create some tension amongst the people groups because you're coming and saying, look, I know you've got like 50 gods, but dude, my God is bigger than all of them, right? Nobody liked that on the basketball court if you were a kid and you're like, look, my daddy can take all y'all. You know, you didn't like that kid. And so that's kind of how the Hebrews would have come across is that, is that look, our daddy can whoop all of y'all's gods, you know? And so there was some tension between these two neighbors and you see that all throughout the history of the Old Testament as there's battles and wars and fights and, and all this stuff. Also, because not, not the least of which is the Hebrews are taking over the land and, and kicking these people out. But anyway, that there's some tension there and there's especially tension between our two main characters. We've got a guy named Elijah. He's kind of the star. Well, you know, God is really the star of every story. God is the A-list actor. God is the, 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 the star of, of every story, of every movie that we come across. But Elijah, he's kind of got a leading role here. And Elijah's name is interesting. And you, gotta, you know when, uh, when, when allergy time comes and you kind of talk with a little bit of phlegm in your mouth? You've got to pronounce Elijah's name that way. His Hebrew name is Eliahu, right? Like you're trying to clear your throat. Seriously, that's how it sounds in Hebrew. Eliahu. Okay, and his name literally means, catch this out, remember polytheist, monotheist. My God is Yahweh. That's what his name means. My God is Yahweh. So when you meet Elijah, you're not, you're not on the fence about what Elijah stands for. Like, you know, I mean, he just introduced it. Hey, hey, my name is, my God is Yahweh. All right, I know where you stand. <laughs> That's going to fast forward our relationship. Because I don't have a question about where you stand on the, on the issue of who's, who, which God do you worship. I got that. Which also means Elijah's really okay with confrontation. Because if your name means my God is Yahweh, you're going to have some confrontation as you come in contact with people. And so he was used to that. But he's also a really interesting guy because, because he kind of has a little bit of like, um, no offense to anybody if you struggle with this, but he's kind of bipolar. Like he, he's really bold and really aggressive in one moment and then he hits the ground running and scared and just, Lord, take my life because I don't want to live anymore. I mean, he's kind of way high and way low. So, so he's kind of got that thing going on. And he, his kind of main opponent, the, the, is it the antagonist? Yeah, the antagonist in the story is a guy named King Ahab. King Ahab was a wicked king. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 16 says he was more wicked than any king that had come before him. Because King Ahab introduced to the Israelites the worship of a collection of deities in the area called the Baals. Now you had, you had Baal, the god of fertility. You had Baal, the god of, of agriculture. You had, you had all sorts of different Baals. But, but Ahab introduces them to the people who's only supposed to worship 
one God. And he goes so far as to build altars and temples for these false gods. And a lot of Ahab's kind of the wrong direction that he takes comes because he has a very wicked wife. Her name is Jezebel. Because behind every wicked man is a... You know, I can't win if I finish that sentence, can I? Anyway... So the context here, kind of what's happening on the timeline, is that, is that Elijah has just burst out onto the scene. He hadn't been heard from, and he just jumps on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17, and he turns the rain off. He just, he just you don't even know, it just says, Elijah, the, the Tishbite from Tishbe, is how 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1 starts out. He just shows up and he turns the water off. He prophesies and says, there ain't going to be no rain because you people have been worshiping false gods. And so I'm just going to turn. It's like he had access to the rain faucet. And he just cuts it off. And it starts this incredible drought that lasts for over three years. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 1. If you have a Bible, uh, that's where we're at. If you don't have a Bible, the, the words will be right on the screen. Also, they're printed on the back of your program. And if you have a smartphone, you can follow along if you have the version app. There's a little live uh, tab that you can click. And if you search for the word vertical, you can follow along right there too. So no matter what form of technology you want to use, we've got you covered. First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Here we go. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Verse 2, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. The famine was very severe. Elijah has been in hiding this whole time. When he, when he declared, Look, the Lord's not going to let it rain until, until sometime in the future. He runs off and he's taken and God takes care of him in this place called the Kareth Ravine. And he brings birds to feed him and he drinks water out of the brook. I mean, he's got it. He's good. And everybody else is going through the drought. You see, this famine, this drought was so severe. You got to imagine that, that probably the poorest people in the area, they probably didn't survive. I mean, they, they were starving to death. Just a, just a couple nights ago, my wife and I watched the Ken Burns documentary on the Dust Bowl. Anybody seen that? It was on PBS, I think, back in the fall. Well, we watched the first episode on Netflix, and, and it was amazing to watch the pictures and even some of the, some of the old video of this, of this incredible catastrophe that happened not too long ago here in the United States. The Dust Bowl, if you're not familiar with what that is, back in the 30s, there's a section in the Midwest, um, Oklahoma, uh, kind of the, the western part of Oklahoma was really the main section, at least according to the documentary, where it... it it didn't rain. It followed this time of a lot of rain, and then it didn't rain very much at all for almost the entire decade of the 30s. And, um, and it just created this, this, these dust storms. I mean, they showed these, these pictures. It was just amazing. These dust storms would blow and cover. They would blow all the way. I think they said 300 miles off the East Coast, there were ships having dust rain down on them from these dust storms in the Dust Bowl. That's the picture you need to think about when, when it says the, the famine was severe in Samaria. This is an this incredible, devastating thing. You know, the ground went from nice and soft and, and fertile to hard 
and dry and, and, the, and the cattle or, or, or goats or whatever you were you know, shepherding would have gone from, from nice and healthy to, to ribs and bones. I mean, it wasn't a good time. And, and just noting that because this creates the tension. Okay, this is what creates the tension, because now the question's going to be whose God can make it rain. If, see, it doesn't matter whose God can make it rain if it rains all the time. But if you're in the middle of a drought and it's severe and people are dying, the question you need answered is whose God can make it rain. And so God gives Elijah the direction, go and I will send the rain. And, you know, just kind of a side note here of all the things we could say about Elijah, you know, kind of bipolar, he's real bold. You know, you don't have to wonder where he stands, but then he goes and runs and hides and God takes care of him. The one thing we can say about Elijah is that is that when God spoke, he went like there were no there was no arguing about what the Lord said. Elijah didn't like many of us. God says something and we well, God, I don't know about that. You know, let me let me kind of engage you in conversation here and see if I can get you to change your mind. No, no, no. It says when when the word of the Lord came, Elijah went. I wonder, just a side note, side question, something for you to ponder this week while you go about your your normal routine. When the word of the Lord comes to you, do you go? When the word of the Lord comes to you to forgive, do you forgive? Just immediately when the word of the Lord comes to you to tell you to apologize, do you Apologize. When the word of the Lord comes to you telling you to give, do you argue with the word of the Lord or do you give? Just immediate obedience. Here we go. Well, the, the story goes, I'm just going to kind of summarize the next 12 or so verses. Elijah comes in contact with a guy named Obadiah. Obadiah is a, is a prophet, very faithful uh, servant of God, of, of Yahweh, but he also works for the king. And, and, and he's, he's been hiding some prophets from the king and his wife because they've been killing them. But he's been hiding them and taking care of them. He's a very faithful guy. But when he sees Elijah and Elijah says, go tell the king that I'm here, Obadiah doesn't want to do it because he says, look, bro, last time you just disappeared. If I go tell the king that you're back and you do your vanishing act again, dude, it's my head. Like, th he will kill me. And look, I I'm, I'm good taking care of the prophets of God, but if you're going to disappear, I don't want to do that. And Elijah says, don't worry, I'm going to be there. I will show up. And so, verse 16, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Look at this. Look how Elijah or Ahab greets Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? It's a really mean way to greet somebody. Not, not, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. No, no. Whoa. Hey, prophet of God. Hey, man of God. It's good to see you. No, no, no. Hey, you, you trouble making tish bite. It's just mean, and especially it's so it's mean, especially when, as we see in the next verse, Ahab and his and his introduction of false worship is the reason that Israel's in trouble, not Elijah. And it's just rude. And then look how look how Elijah responds. This is great. You can I want you to feel the tension between these two, these two characters. And he answered. I have not troubled Israel. You can kind of picture Elijah sticking his finger in the king's face, okay? I have not troubled Israel, but you have. You and your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed 
the Baals. He's kind of got his scrawny finger just pointing right in his face, which we want to say, Elijah, chill. <laughs> dude, this dude, this guy has the power to kill you. you maybe you want to start your sermon off with a joke. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you want to start off with a story. You know, in, in seminary, they, they make you, if you're going to be a pastor and you go to seminary, they make you take preaching classes. And they tell you in your preaching class that you want to start every sermon off with some kind of funny story or something to create common ground with everybody so that you don't want to offend people too quick. You don't want to hit them too hard right up front because, because you want them to follow along with you and engage in what you're saying and all be on the same page. And then you hit them, right? Like, like draw them in, then sock them in the mouth. Um, Elijah didn't have time for that. Elijah, I'm not, going, I'm not going to get common ground with you because, look, the common ground is dry. The common ground is famine. The common ground is people are starving to death. And I don't have time to, to draw you in, Ahab. The time is now. The famine is severe. Verse 19. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Our movie is a Western. It's the showdown at the Carmel Corral. It's like John Wayne or Clint Eastwood, whatever you grew up. Watching, I watch Clint Eastwood because my dad watched Clint Eastwood. I'm talking the good, the bad, and the ugly. The outlaw, Josie Wells. I'm talking unforgiven, Clint Eastwood. That doesn't make you say amen, man. Your wood's wet. Why Mount Carmel? Why, why, did, why did Elijah say that's where you're going to meet me, up on top of the mountain? Well, there's a couple different reasons. The, the first one of the first reasons is just because Mount Carmel is is right in the middle of this very lush, very fertile grounds, very green around Mount Carmel. And matter of fact, we have a picture this that mountain you see in the background. That's Mount Carmel. This is kind of modern day. Obviously, Elijah did not take this picture as we had not had that technology at that point. But you see how green the grass is. Now I want you to think about this as you're looking at the green grass. Imagine if it hadn't rained for three years. What would that place look like? Probably instead of green, you would have a lot of brown. Probably instead of grass, you would have a lot of dirt. So Elijah says, let's go to this place so we can see what was really green and now is brown. And this is the front line to answer the question, whose God can make it rain? Whose God can take, can take the brown and turn it green? Whose God is the one who makes it rain? But not only that, you see, Mount Carmel was also the center of, of the Baal worship. They, they had a, a temple on there. They had, a, they had an altar on Carmel as, as this center that, that Ahab had built to worship Baal, which tells me that God, our God, Yahweh, he's scared of a fight. That in fact, he's so not scared of a fight, he'll give the enemy home field advantage. That he'll show up on the visiting, as, the, as the visiting team on the, on the opponent's home court. 
And not only that, but, but, but he stacks the odds against Elijah. 850. Elijah says, look, look, bring your 450 prophets and your 400 prophets and meet me up on the mountain. 850 to 1? I don't care how you stack it. Those aren't good odds. You can be LeBron James of the, of the religious world sacrificing. And you're still outnumbered. You know what I mean? You're still outmanned. You're, you're still not in a good position. Which also tells me that God will stack the odds against himself just to show that when he performs the miracle, it was humanly impossible. That's what God will do. Let me, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's go to your home field, your crowd, your audience, your prophets, and my boy. And when I show up there, I'm going to show up and show off in a way that what I do is impossible. And that's what God will do in your life. And that's what God will do in my life. I love this because it tells me that God doesn't get stressed out. Do you get stressed out? Man, I get stressed out sometimes. I get in situations where I don't see a way out and I don't see how it's going to all come together and I don't see what good can come of a bad situation. And I get stressed out. And this tells me God's not concerned with that. God doesn't get stressed out. Do you work good under pressure? Do you remember that song, Under Pressure? Boom, 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 ba da dum dum Boom, 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 ba da dum dum You can't add the click. If you do the boom, 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 ba da dum dum boom, boom. That's actually Vanilla Ice. That's Ice Ice Baby. He, he didn't steal that song at all, though. Under Pressure. How do you work under pressure? God's okay under pressure. God doesn't mind pressure. A lot of us, we collapse under pressure, but God shows off his strength under pressure. Verse 21. This is where we're going to get our question. Every week during this series, we've had a question that's come right from the very story, and it's been the thing we've kind of centered the whole thing around. Verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Which you do sometimes. That's why I tried to teach you to say amen a couple weeks ago. All right, anyway, the question, how long? It was, wow, feel for Elijah. There you go, thank you, appreciate that. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? The literal Hebrew phrase here goes like this. How long will you hop about upon two branches? It's this metaphor. You know how we have metaphors or sayings that, that don't really mean what they say. It, it actually, you know, it, it's supposed to give you a picture of something that really describes a situation. I can't think of one of those off the top of my head right now, but you know what I'm saying, right? Um, that's what this is. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor from, from watching birds hop around on trees. You, you watch a bird hop from limb to limb, branch to branch, twig to twig, never really settling on one particular branch. You know, I used, to, I used to read this, and I used to even preach this and think this, and I've heard others preach this as well, that, that Elijah's laying down an ultimatum, that Elijah's looking at the people and saying, look, people, either serve God or serve the devil. And we would say that like in, in church I grew up, serve God or serve the devil. Like, Amen. You know? And I've been thinking about that. And you know what? That's stupid. <laughs> That's a stupid idea. And if you've had that idea, hey, we're in the same boat together. I had a stupid idea too. Because here's why it's stupid. God's not going to tell you to serve the devil. 
Like God's not going to say, hey, you either serve me or serve the devil. Because God doesn't want you to serve the devil. God's not even going to say, say the last part. It's just serve me. That's all God says, serve me. I want you to serve the devil. And so I've been ste- stepping back from this. And, and that's why I wanted to tell you about the context. Because I think the context tells us what our question is about. You see, remember, this is a, this is a monotheistic culture. Hebrew people, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. We have one God. But we're living amongst a people who have a lot of gods. We're living amongst polytheists. Even today, we live amongst people who have all sorts of different gods. It's, the, it's me, I'm a God. My, my wallet's a God. My time, my watch is a God. My job is a God. My money's a God. Friday night at the club is a God. We got all kinds of gods. So we live with one God in a culture that has a lot of gods. And in this situation, the question is, well, God is, is God. You know, God is Yahweh. But is he the God who makes it rain? Maybe God is God, but maybe he's not the God of the rain. Maybe, maybe we need God and something. Maybe we need God and something else, which is always our struggle. And you may, not, you may not see that right off the bat, but, but if you've ever thought, you know, well, God is good for my spiritual life, but he didn't really belong in my bank account. We need God and something. You know, you know God, God can save my soul, but he can't save my business. He didn't have a place there. We got God and something. You know, you know I was studying this in my, in my new revised study Bible, and, and it has a cross-reference. And you'll never guess what the cross-reference is. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus looks at the people and says, you can't serve both God and money. Why? Because you can't serve God and. It didn't work that way. God is, God is good for Sunday, but I could use a little help from somebody else on Friday night. God and. The temptation is always in our life to approach life from a perspective of God and God's not interested in God and God wants God only. See, the question that Elijah is asking the people here, here is, do you live with God and or do you live God only? God and God only. This is not a plus one environment. This is not a party of two or three or four or five. This is a party of one, one God, God only. Another way of understanding the question is this. Is this God enough for you? Or do you need something else? Is Jesus enough? Is his grace enough? Is his spirit enough? Grace, grace saved me from, from hell, but can I trust my life here and all the aspects and areas of it to that same grace every day? Do I serve God and, or do I serve God only? It's not a question of, will you serve God or serve the devil? It's, will you serve God and, or God only? Maybe a modern illustration will help this out, because maybe, maybe you're not jiving with that bird illustration, right? Hopping around on two branches. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you're not grow up in Hebrew culture. I've got iPhone, iPhone 5. How many iPhone users? Man, 
tough crowd. No iPhone. Wow. Anyway, uh, I've got an iPhone here, and, and on my iPhone, I can access all sorts of different things. Just, just, just go with me here. Picture this. I can, I can, I can pull up the Bible on version. I can pull up, I can pull up the Word of God, all different kinds of translations, all sorts of, I can, all sorts of different kinds of languages. I can pull this up and, and immediate access. I don't have to carry around a book. I don't have to carry around, I don't have to carry around a notepad because I can take notes. I can read your notes. If you, if you share them, I can read what you think about. The, I, imagine all of the access to the voice of God that we have just from this phone. But you know what else I have on my phone? I have an app called Twitter. I have a Twitter feed where, where my opinion, along with all the other people that I follow, I can access their thoughts and their opinions on all sorts of different kinds of things. I have an app on here called Facebook. <laughs> the Facebook app where I can post a thought or a picture and, and, and then all these hundreds and thousands of people can chime in on whether they like my picture or whether they don't like my picture. They can tell me what they think about my picture. I've got an app on here called Messages. You might think of it as text messages, where, where I, can, I can have conversations one-on-one -on -one with people all over the world just in a matter of a few moments. Matter of fact, one time I was actually using my phone to read the Bible. <laughs> I, was reading, I was reading just my daily reading, and I was enjoying it, man. I was really, really hearing from God, and I got a text message right in the middle of it, like popped right up on the screen. You have a text. Oh, I said, oh, okay. So I, I looked at it, and before I even realized it, I was off doing something totally else and didn't finish my reading, which then God got my attention. He kind of, he said, you know what? Your heart's exactly like that. And I said, God, what are you talking about? Uh, and he just, he just said, you know, you're taking in my promises. You're taking in my commands, my, my word, my truth, on this device, but on the same device, you have all the other opinions and voices that you've collected. Son, you got spiritual ADD going on. I thought, whoa, really? Uh, it, it, that quickly, I can get distracted. I can jump from branch to branch. See what I'm saying? I can hear this voice and then get distracted by this other voice. I can take in his promise, but then the first CNN alert that I get that the financial market is going south will totally make me forget that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. And I'll go into a tailspin and stress out about what I read on, on the news on Monday afternoon. And I was just in church on Sunday morning hearing about the promises of God and how he's faithful and he'll walk with me and he'll never leave me or forsake me. But as soon as I get a bad report on the, on the, on the CNN app, all of a sudden, I'm on a different branch, stressed out, worried about what's going to happen, unsure, is God really trustworthy? I can be in the, in the middle of, of soaking in a, a promise from God and then I get news of some decision that happens in D.C. and it totally sends me into a tailspin because, oh God, what's happening to our nation? As if he's not aware and as if he's not powerful enough to, to, to rise up, raise up a church to, to, to be his life. As if he is somehow affected and stressed out by what Jay-Z tweets. <laughs> God and, or God only. 
go to church on Sunday. God fills us with purpose and vision and hope and joy. And then we go to work on Monday morning and, and we have the attitude, oh, I just got to make it through today. Well, what happened about the God that you encountered the day before that filled you with purpose? Why don't you take that purpose into your Monday and realize that, that, that this is not some kind of pit, but it's actually a promise to you to proclaim his goodness. Like, like we don't, we hop from branch to branch. You see that so quickly because the temptation is always God and or God only. Worshiping Bell isn't about worshiping the devil and being opposed to God. That's too easy. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's not the temptation because look, I don't know what kind of person you are, but I can guarantee you if the choice that you have to make is, well, am I going to worship God or am I going to worship Satan? I'm pretty sure you're not going to choose Satan. If, you, if the choice is that easy, well, yeah, I'll worship God. So it's not that. It's not that. It's not an either or. The temptation is both and. You see what I'm saying? The temptation is, is to worship God and then add to that the God of business for your business situation. The temptation is to worship God, but in your sex life, worship the God of sex. The temptation is to worship God, but when you look at your bank account, you'll worship the God of money. The temptation is to worship God, but then when it comes time to volunteer or serve, well, I'll worship the God of time management. The temptation is to worship God, but if the situation is uncomfortable, I'll just worship the God of comfort and reputation and being well-mannered. See what I'm saying? The temptation is not either or. The temptation that we always face is both and. And Elijah calls the people to a decision point. He says, look, there is a decision point where you've got to decide who is your source and where does your help come from? How long will you jump back and forth between two branches, between what God says and how you feel? How long will you be indecisive. God can get us to heaven, but can he be trusted with everything right now? And God's claim has always been, look, I'm the only God. Beside me, there's none other. No other gods, not just before me, but before. Not just above me, but in my presence. That's always been God's claim. His claim has always been that there's nothing else, no one else is required or needed. He is the God of everything. So is he your God of everything? Or when the, when the pressure heats up and the stress goes out on your shoulders, do you turn to a different God for that situation? Now, this week, you can finish this story at home. We're not going to finish the story of Elijah. In fact, we're going to, we are going to finish it, but it's going to be in August. In August, I think it's August 18th, we've got a day called Vision Day where we're going to preach the rest of this passage because I believe the Lord has used this passage to really just, just show me, and, I, and I've shared it in several different settings, this is what we're supposed to be about. This is what we're supposed to do. And, and so go ahead and put it on your calendars. This is like a, just a side note. August 18th, you want to be here Vision Day. I believe God's going to show us what church really is. But, but you can finish this. It's pretty amazing. I mean, God shows up and he shows off. Fire from heaven, boom, eradicates all the false worship. It's awesome. Rain comes down, the field's wet. All of a sudden they can start planting again. It's great. Because, because God doesn't need a backup plan. Like he puts Elijah in this impossible situation because he doesn't need a plan B. You know, all the time people, you got to have a plan B. Not according to God. Like God ain't got a plan B. 
Plan A is, is God, and plan B doesn't exist. God doesn't operate with a plan B. And I believe he's asking us today, how long will you go on limping between those two branches? How long will you go on limping? How long will you jump back and forth between freedom and bondage? You know, the thing that you keep going, that destructive behavior that you keep going back to time and time again, even after you've experienced freedom. How long will you jump back and forth between freedom and bondage? How long will you jump back and forth between boldness and fear? Between God is faithful and I've got to do it on my own. How long will we jump back and forth between two opinions? How long will we jump back and forth between the truth of God and the lie that we need something else? How long? How long is God enough for you? Is Jesus enough? Is he the God everything? So when the pressure heats up and the stress comes on your shoulders, you have to turn somewhere else. And when he says go, you obey. Because he's the God of everything. He's the God of the bank account. He's the God of the watch, the calendar. He's the God in the good times and the bad times. He's the God on the mountaintop and he's the God in the wilderness. He's the God when you stand at the Red Sea and when you get on the other side. He's God. How long will we go back and forth between God and and God only? Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we come much like Elijah drew the people to a decision point. So you have drawn us to a decision point. Will we trust in you only? Or will we continue to trust in you and Lord, I, I feel like in this moment, people are, some people are feeling really bad about themselves, like they are terrible followers. And, and Lord, I just pray that your, your Holy Spirit just wipes that out. There's no guilt needed here. This is not about feeling guilty. This is not about feeling like you, like you messed up. And you've been unfaithful. This is, this is just God reminding us he's enough. And we can let those other gods go. We don't have to trust in the God of whatever. Because we know Yahweh. God. The Lord of lords and the King of kings. Look, if you're feeling bad. If you're feeling guilty. Then let that, let that just push you to, to repenting. Lord, I'm sorry for having a God besides you. I, will you forgive me? I serve you only. And then let that guilt go. Let that guilt go. This is how God works in our lives. He, he brings us to these, these moments of decision and these, these times of, of transformation in a moment he accomplishes in our heart what what hasn't been able to be done over weeks and months he does it in a moment as we realize the truthfulness of his word and the goodness of his grace this morning if you have been 
tempted to serve both God and something else. Let him soften your heart. Repent before him. Ask him to forgive you. And then move on. Because he's saying go and you need to go with him only. Lord, I can recognize so many places in my own life where I've been tempted to turn to a different opinion. When I've been forced, forced into a situation and I've been tempted to look for a different opinion than the one you've already spoken. And Lord, I, nobody else in this room, Lord, this, thank you for revealing this message because Lord, I repent. Forgive me, God, for not trusting completely in you. Forgive me, God, for, for my lack of, of faith. Now, Lord, renew in my heart that trust that was there when we first met. Renew in my heart that, that faith that was there when, when we first began and Remind me, God, that you are enough. And if that's you this morning, that's all you have to pray, man. That's all you got to say. Lord, forgive me. Renew that, that faith and that trust. And remind me that you're enough. You know what? You might be in a situation right now where you're really tempted to look for a different God in your finances because things aren't going the way you need them to go. Listen, God is enough. You might be in a situation where you're tempted to look for a different God for a relationship that you have because you're getting stressed out and time's ticking away and you're thinking of compromising what God has spoken. And look, He's enough. He'll see you through. Trust in Him. You might be tempted to approach a different God because you're in a time of, you're in a downtime, you're in a downturn. And you're not sure if the God that was with you and the joy is going to be with you in the pain. And so you're looking to trust a different God to just numb your, numb your thoughts and your mind and numb your heart. Listen, you don't have to trust different gods. This God is Yahweh. He's the God of everything. Good times and bad times. Upturns and downturns. When there's money in the bank and when the account is red. He's still God. And you can trust Him. Maybe you need, maybe you feel like you need to surrender your life to Him today. Maybe you came in here and you're, you're like, well, well Pastor Josh, that's, I've, I've never served God. It's not just God and or God only. I, I haven't served God at all. But today, you can, you can, you can respond to the invitation that He's giving you. He's already given you the ability to respond. That's His grace coming to, to take your heart. That's His grace coming to empower you to, to move towards Him. You can't do it on your own. That's why you're here. His grace has brought you here and He's empowering you to surrender to Him. And if that's you, you just say, Lord, forgive me. 
for serving all sorts of different kinds of gods. Today, I declare, you are my God. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of all the things I've, and all the ways I've gone wrong. Create me new again today. Make me new from the inside out. And I'll serve you only. I declare that you are my God, that Jesus is my God. You pray that. You pray that in that moment, Jesus forgives you and he becomes not just, he becomes your savior, but he becomes your, 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 your brother, your, your friend, your, your companion and his Holy Spirit comes into your life and he will lead you and guide you help you trust in him new every day. Lord, we thank you again for all the ways that you're moving in and up, in, inside us and around us. Lord, for the person that's sitting beside us, we pray for them, pray that they meet you this morning. We love you, Jesus. You are our God and you are enough. In your son's name we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.